I want to blow a load of destiny in his face. Are you going to spend the destiny point? No! Nat 20, baby! Nat 20! Hey, boys. It's time to play. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you in part by GoDaddy.com and Audible.com, as well as the generous contributions of Bill Moynihan of Scranton, Pennsylvania. This show is for you. And as we embark on said show, this would be the Order 66 podcast, episode number 64, as we slowly close in on... Oh, the all-wonderful episode 66. <laughs> and with me, as always, is GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? It is I, GM Chris, coming back at you for another wonderful episode of the Order 66 podcast. And joining us this week is, of course, uh, the sultry, uh, sensual, sumptuous, and uh, uh, barely sane Twi'lek goodness. What's up, TG? <laughs> uh all of what you said and a little bit more. Ooh, fantastic. Well, for those who may be walking into the room for the very first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast entirely devoted to the power and passion that is Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. Mm. So, yeah, we are here. We is. We is. We is. I... And there's no better way to get started than with this. Yep. So, how about some love into the D20 radio chat room? No joke, man. You know they're what? there. It's, it's late on a Sunday night, and they're there. What's going on, Echo Base? 22 of you. <laughs> Contest isn't over yet. It is in my mind. 20, uh, <laughs> 22 of you actually chatting it up. 36 watching on the stream. Thank you very much for being there. If you guys want to check it out, d20radio.com hit on the live vidcast link or just hit ustream.tv slash channel slash d20 radio and you'll find us there wahoo and uh, while you guys are over at our website d20radio.com you can also click on uh, the w- what is the link for d20 radio swag is it the um, uh, it just says like uh, get some <laughs> <laughs> I like that <laughs> it says swag get some but yeah, swag, get some. Yeah, but seriously, you guys can help support the D20 Radio Network by getting a D20 Radio T-shirt. Uh, the fine folks at Crazy Custom Tees providing that, and uh, are in the works for getting some new T-shirt designs up for us right now. And you can head over to the forums at d20radio.com/forum and actually vote on the new T-shirt design you'd like to see. 
Vote, vote, vote. If you don't vote, you cannot complain. Them's the rules in the democracy of the republic, boys very true. and girls. Very true. <laughs> but that's a, a contest, I guess, of a sorts. The prize, of course, being the T-shirt that you want to see uh, being produced, uh, which is going to be pretty cool. But we got other contests, too, man. Um, we do. We, we do, man. RFH, Radio Free Homlet, uh, of course, uh, established, seasoned member of the Gamer Nation. Uh, and the D20 Radio Network. Um, the RFH crew wants your mad skills, Gamer Nation. Uh, they're looking to you to design a horror so vile, so creative, so dripping with awesome sauce that it makes people's eyes bleed. They want you to create a monster for 4th edition. And in return for this effort, the winner of the contest, to be decided on May 1st, will be rewarded with a badge to Gen Con, complete with a VIG companion tag, all paid for by Radio Free Hamlet and the true coolness of the DMs. They are so awesome. They're a cool group of guys, man. I remember we first got the chance to meet them. We got to go down, you and I did, didn't we, TG? And have the uh, Indian food. Yeah, it was good, too. <laughs> yeah, it was like almost a year ago. It was greatness. Speaking of Indian, you know, I walked into a 7-Eleven and it's uh, Indian dude. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> <laughs> he was, I mean, he was pure Indian dude. I'm talking, you know, Indian Pakistani. And I walked up and, you know, I, I won't imitate his voice or sound racist or anything crazy like that. But I walked up and he said, hello. And I said, hello. And I said, Jim. Your name tag Jim? says Jim. I mean, his I, name tag was Jim. Jim. I expected like <laughs> Mustafa or something. And Jim. Oh, see, see, where, where's your brain going there, man? Seriously, that's so derogatory of you, Dave. Yes, send all hate mail, please, to GM Chris at d20radio.com. <laughs> he was the one that put it in the show notes. So, uh huh. <laughs> so, anyway, um, next contest actually is over. I, uh, I'd kind of thrown out a, you know, we needed to have X number of. Some, some at least entries in the uh, little viral marketing thing. I got like four, and so I've suspended <laughs> the contest. The contest is kaput. The Statue of Liberty uh, is uh, kaput. Is yeah. kaput. So I guess know. I guess the gamer nation didn't get off their duffs. No, you know they're lazy these days. I'm not sending in any bumpers. Not doing much of anything. I think the. I think, the end of, I think the end. Uh, no, I think the end of the show is near. I, I believe that we're just going to have to call it quits, pitch our tents, pick up our tents, and uh, bring the sheep down from Brokeback Mountain and call it a day. <laughs> uh, I, I know, man. Seriously, it's you know, because you know what, Gamer Nation, that that continually rising uh, download count and subscription feed uh, numbers is is just not enough. We we really need you to, you know, really give it your all as a listenership and. And give us a call every once in a while at the Lusa line, 206-600-5872, and tell us who you are and, and why you never listened to the Order 66 podcast. It would be right. much appreciated. And uh, we have one other contest that's about to come to a conclusion. Um, name that chat room. Um, thanks to the suggestion of High Jedi, one of our newer listeners, we've decided to give the chat room a name, as Dave alluded to earlier. Um, Echo Base seems to be the name that's winning by a freaking landslide but you can you guys can all see the poll that's up there right now asking you to vote on the name of our chat room uh voting will end april 30th and a winner will be decided and i don't know i i was there's some great suggestions up there i really like echo base i know that was gary asselford's suggestion so i think that would be freaking awesome if, if a, uh, a dev managed to name our chat room oh yeah that would be ideal as a matter of fact i would say indeed indeed um so yeah it, it's some good stuff man 
Yep. And uh, speaking of good stuff, Dave, um, I'm sure TG can squeal with delight, um, utter delight. Uh, well, <laughs> do you really want to go there? <laughs> oh, uh, no, not, not, not yet. Um, because what happened today, TG? Registration went live for Gen Con. It was so much fun. Yes. So D20 Radio, this is what's really fun about it, is that we will be running some Saga Star Wars edition in a serious throwdown style. So keep your eyes glued to the forums for when. And uh, we'll have a pretty varied schedule from what y'all have told me. Uh, so we can try to accommodate as many peeps as possible. Yeah, we're going to try and do as many slots as we can. But um, it was pretty cool. We got the chance to reserve. I know um, we're doing it like at least one or two slots of True Dungeon, aren't we? I know that filled up pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, look, it filled up within two minutes. It okay. was in, it was insane. It was it was absolutely silly. But I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Get some good gaming going on. But uh, Dave, if I'm not mistaken, there's another con that's coming up uh, a little more recently and a little closer to us. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. This would be ReaperCon in Denton, Texas, next month. This would be May 14 to 17. Is at the basically the production facility for Reaper Miniatures. Yeah. These guys we have all of a sudden forged a very nice little relationship with. You guys will know the Reaper Minis because you've gone into your FLGS and you see their. They look like pewter statuesque. Well, they are. They're 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 like a tin pewter there. Yep. And some some are, of the best minis made. Yes, they are fantastic. They are hooking us up with some custom made minis wielding lightsabers and all that because we will uh, 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 energy swords. Energy swords, sorry. They're they're little plastic <laughs> little things that resemble uh energy swords from Halo. That's why we played the Halo stuff at the beginning. Anyway, anyway, they're making us some minis for our games that we are going to run at the con, boys and girls. Yes. May 14 to 17, ReaperCon, Denton, Texas. And we it's are, so close to us, dude. We're it, just it's very there. close. Um, I, I can't wait to... Okay, so I, I, I got two... I mean, it was very cool. First of all, I want to announce that, of course, as you said, we're going to be running a game. Um, uh, one of... Uh, D20 Radio's first convention modules will be released for Star Wars Saga Edition there. Um, and it is going to be a Dark Times game and uh, designed to bring people into the system for the first time. And it's going to be wonderful. And, I, dude, I mean, I can't even tell you, Dave. I mean, I showed you some of the pictures we took. TG and I had the chance to drive up there on Saturday. And the guys at Reaper were so amazing. And they actually welcomed us into the factory, into the studio they have. And they brought us back and gave us an entire tour of how they make minis. I mean, from the creation process of, of getting the sculpts in and the, the greens to actually casting them into a mold to going back with the liquid metal and actually pouring it into the mold and compressing it and taking it out. It was freaking awesome. And they're just a huge group of painters and gamers and just incredibly awesome people. And they I were, am... Yeah, they were so nice. You know, the thing that amazed me the most, well, there was two things that amazed me. First was the the versatility of all of the different minis that they made. Because mm -hmm. they, they've, they've got their set, uh, a huge amount of different ones that they're making. And they're set little characters, but with the metal that they use, it makes it easy to modify to mm -hmm. for any game that you're playing. I thought that was really cool. 
Um, and then the second one was when they were playing with the hot metal. They weren't playing with it, but when they were showing us and pouring the liquid hot metal, and then they they made a mold and it didn't turn out the way they wanted. They just took the dried mold and just dropped it back into the hot like, metal. Well, we'll try again. We'll try again. <laughs> okay. Wow, was that like, was pretty cool. Hey, ready-made mulligan right there. It was yeah. it, it was awesome, but it, it cracked me up because so many of the of the guys and gals there were like, "Hey, you know, we listen to D20 Radio. We like the podcast." I'm like. You you know who we are? Are you freaking kidding me? It's like oh I'm like I'm I'm sitting in Reaper Miniatures right now. Do you understand <laughs> who you are? And and the fact that you know I've bought and painted your crap for years. You know I can't even tell you. So it was it was really really cool. But ReaperCon is coming up. If you guys want to find out more about this amazing convention, head over to www.reapermini.com slash ReaperCon. And uh, the uh, the Order 66 crew is going to be there, um, maybe even with a few other members of, D- of the D20 Radio Network, and we'll be throwing down some hardcore gamage. It will be glory. Yep. Wow. All right, so postcard time. Did you receive one? Yeah, I did. Um, it came a little late. The, I actually had to go down to the post office and pick it up, um, mostly because it was, well... The postman didn't want to put it in my box. Well, okay, basically, I, I, I've got it here. Um, this postcard is really sticky. It's a, a moss-covered piece of paper um, with a quickly sketched picture of a soggy world covered in thick vegetation. And the scrawled lettering on the postcard reads, Welcome to Manfa, friend. Hope you like it raw and wriggling. Ew. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards. From Commander Cody. Dear GM Dive and GM Chris. Hi, fellas. The squad and I barely made it out of the Sea Rock Star Cluster in one piece. A long story I'll have to tell you later. But suffice it to say, our negotiation for the Sea Rock Energy Secrets didn't go as planned. The commander of the mission was turned into a permanent fixture of a Sea Rock battlecruiser, and we managed to make it out before bombarding their hideous little world as we left. As I said, working for this Project Hammertong is rather important to the Empire, and though I'm not sure what it's all about, it must be pretty important. I caught our new mission commander talking to a hollow of Grand Morph Tarkin yesterday, and if he's involved, it's gotta be something major. And boy, he didn't look happy. We've made a U-turn across the Galactic Hub, and have taken the Corillian run all the way to the Outer Rim, supposedly to explore a radically different power generation option, that of crude fuel. Uh, History tells us crude fuel is ineffective and not really worth it, but I think the Empire is willing to try anything at this point, and they're starting with petroleum. This has led us to the planet Manfa, home to the strange amphibian species, the Shorta Hub. These creatures should barely be called sentients. (laughs) They resemble large frogs with short, squat, round bodies and spindly arms. The shorter ups stand only about 40 centimeters tall. The little green buggers seem to be pretty at home on Memphis, perhaps one of the most damp, dank, smelly swamp worlds I've ever had the displeasure of sloshing my boots in. Bubbles of natural gas constantly rise from the depths, giving the entire planet the smell of wet combat socks. Disgusting. But their planet is rich in petroleum. 
which the primitive shorter of process and sell in the only real city on the world, their capital of Shanpin. The shorter herb culture itself is primitive at best, in my opinion, though they do claim they can use technology just fine, it's just that they enjoy a robust lifestyle. I will say that many of these creatures are fair musicians with the grouty, an odd instrument that combines the worst features of a flute and a water organ. The food here is interesting. They cook nothing. The shorter herb claim that cooked food can't be digested by them. Rubbish if you ask me, but uh, this sashimi isn't too bad. Well, listen, guys, we're about to accompany a squad of scientists into the swamps for analysis of this planet's potential energy output. If you're on the outer rim, at the end of the Carillion Run, and if you'd like to visit a damp, smelly, swampy little mud hole, this place is right up your alley. But if you do come, try the sushi. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Alright... Another good effort from Cody, you know. As long as he... I knew he's a sushi fan, I feel a little better yeah. about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, honestly, I... um, I, I, I start to doubt Cody's sense of taste and, and, you know, aesthetic sensibility, you know, just because of the fact he's a clone. You know, I don't like to be prejudiced, but, you know, they, they kind of all like the same stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I had so, yeah. 10 degrees, so... Well, what, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you gonna do? I know what we're going to do. What? D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Ah, uh, yes. This would Indeed. be the D20's Docking Bay, where we take listener questions that arrive via email <laughs> or from the forums on a regular basis. So keep <laughs> the emails coming, and let's boogaloo until we puke. <laughs> you sound like on, uh, what is it, The Incredibles, Edna Mode. Edna Mode. Yes. I was going for more of a Borat myself. That's kind of where I was seeing it. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Time for question number one. Okay. From Staker. Ooh, Staker. That's right. So anyway, this gives me tired head, so I'm going to try and get through it without sounding like a complete buffoon. He says, my first question for the docking bay. Aha. Let's just say... That a character with martial arts one and two okay. finds himself outnumbered and is about to be pummeled by four, count them, four opponents. Okay. The creature, the character, has a dex of 17, which gives him a plus three modifier. And the combat reflexes feet. This means so that he, he can make, make multiple attacks of opportunity. Right. Okay. Okay, so he could theoretically take the, uh, the AO um, against each of the four opponents surrounding him. He chooses to fight defensively to give him a plus two to reflex defense. So any attack of opportunities that he uh, will make are going to be at a minus five penalty, right? Okay, so Correct. he says follow me Correct. so far. That's true. Yes, yes. Okay, I, I've, got, I've got the picture in my mind. All right, so here's the tricky part. Oh, see, the Star Wars music always gets so loud all of a sudden before you even really know where it's going all of a sudden. God, thanks, John Williams. Jeez. 
So that's the tricky part that the music gets really. Li- How does that fit in with the taking an AOO and? <laughs> I'm gonna let Dave explain that one. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Here, the character also has the Knights of the Old Republic soldier talent. Notice how he just kind of slid that one right under the table. Also has the counterpunch talent, which allows you to make an AOO against any opponent who ta- attacks you in melee while you're fighting defensively. So, does this stack with combat reflexes? So, let's say each of the first three opponents attempts to strike the character. As each attempts to strike, does he get two area of, uh, I'm sorry, area of effect? Attacks of opportunity against them. If so, once the first three have received a sound beatdown from our hero, let's say the last one turns to flee, then he'd only get his last combat reflex strike against him. Um, I'm guessing no, but go ahead. Well, this is actually a, a pretty good question, Stager. So, okay, it's a complex one, though. For, first, to clarify for those following along, one of the attack of opportunity provoking actions is to strike someone unarmed without martial arts one. Okay, if I try to punch you and I don't have martial arts, I'm going to provoke an attack of opportunity for doing so. Now, because our hero in Staker's example has martial arts, his own fists are are lethal weapons, and he can execute an attack of opportunity on anyone who attempts to punch him without martial arts. Okay, so so to the question, uh, Donovan Morningfire beat us to the punch, no pun intended, on the forums, and I'm going to echo his answer. Uh, Per the rules as written, you can only receive one attack of opportunity per provoking action. So even if the action provokes attack of opportunities in multiple ways, you still only are going to take one hit from it. So in your example, our hero would only be able to strike each foe once as an attack of opportunity, and that's pretty much it. The big difference mechanically between fighting defensively against foes without martial arts and the counterpunch talent is that Counterpunch can be used against any melee attack, anytime you're fighting defensively. Um, and that's where the big difference lies. In this scenario, though, even then, it's that unarmed attack that's provoking the attack of opportunity. And no matter how many different ways it provokes it, it's still only going to have one reaction to it, which is going to be your hit. So I hope that helps somewhat. Right. Does that that make sense, guys? That's a little bit of a confusing scenario. Well, yeah. And I mean... Uh... In the chat room, Sith Goddess actually comes up, says one action, one reaction. That's pretty much it. Action, pretty reaction. It, yeah. That's exactly. You know, boil it down, boom. That's uh, that's all you do. So, um, yep. Thanks for the it's wisdom the, there, huh? It's the kiss. It's the kiss principle. Keep it simple. The kiss principle. The kiss principle, where Gene Simmons comes out and slaps you and says, "Keep it simple, stupid." Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. Zappy, zappy, zappy. Zappy. With question. Number two. Okay. Zappy follows us. Uh, follow-up question to uh, what we answered earlier for his desperate gambit feat uh, a couple of shows ago. Yeah. All right. So he says, thank you for answering my last question about desperate gambit. Do you happen to have a Colt 44? Five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking 44 Magnum. I don't know why I'm thinking about guns. And that's not even right. So I'm just going to shut up now. I need a beer. <laughs> or an apple martini. That's successful advertising. So anyway, what's his new question? Um, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Okay. So game mechanics. How does Desperate Gambit or any attack reroll ability in general work when the initial attack is turned into a miss with a destiny point? For example... 
A character attacks the BBEG, but the BBEG spends a destiny point to evade the attack. Can the character then use uh, the attack reroll ability to attempt to hit with that attack? Or does the destiny point turn one attack into a miss regardless of how many times it's rerolled? So thank you for clarifying and greetings from across the pond. Well, that's actually a very good question, Sappy. Now, there's been no official answer to this because, quite frankly, um, it hasn't come up too terribly often. But then again, there has kind of been an official answer to this. And, and let me explain. The devs have clarified that when you spend the destiny point, any ability to negate the attack that you've spent a destiny point on through a reactionary role, such as like block, deflect, vehicular combat, stuff like that, it doesn't work. A destiny point is a fracking destiny point. It's an auto hit. It can only be negated by another destiny point. Yep. Now, your question is more or less the same one, just from the opposite end of the equation. If I spend the destiny point to make an attack miss, can they attempt a reactionary ability, in this case, Desperate Gambit, to make it hit? I don't see the reasoning or logic being any different, Zappy, and I'd rule that, again, it's a fracking destiny point, and I would say that it negates the attack in its entirety. You would need to spend a destiny point to auto-hit, basically. Oh, okay, what about... Now, I can understand where it would get confusing or why you would get confused on this, because mm -hmm. if... I can spend another destiny point to push it back on them, right? Correct. And you can play the destiny point ping pong, basically. So how is that different? I mean, if they, how come if they use a destiny point to miss, then it's not, it's done. How come I get the chance to use another destiny point to try to make it hit? Because it's a destiny point. You only get one a level. It's a fracking destiny point. In particular with Desperate Gambit, this is an ability that can be used once around. So uh, again, pretty pretty much. Uh, I mean, the way I'm going to rule it from from the from the uh, attack angle, the devs have ruled that a destiny point can only be negated by a destiny point. From the defense angle, which is where this is coming from, I'm going to keep that ruling the same. A destiny point can only be negated by a destiny point. Okay, okay. That saying that as a rule makes makes it make more sense. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> again, Kiss Gene Simmons Poland. appears oh. in his mind. In my mind. Okay. Okay, I'll 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 go with that. Although somebody could. Um, well, yeah, you don't seem quite pleased on that. Tell me what what's your thought process, dude? Well, I, a destiny point can only be negated by a destiny point. I don't know that I would follow that logic. I would say that a destiny point is still, at the end of the day, a natural twenty. So it still would be, in my mind, anyway. Um, couldn't a Jedi still try to? deflect or something along those I, i'm just i'm i'm thinking of something and a rebuke or something something with a higher skill check or something like that to to beat your hit to beat your hit roll now th this has been a subject of debate um and a lot of people play to where you can actually deflect or block against destiny points some gms don't because they say again it's a freaking destiny point Okay, uh, you shouldn't be, you know, if, if it's going to hit, it's going to hit. And I know that myself, I've played it both ways. <sighs> I can tell you that from sheer satisfaction's sake, as well as, as ease of gameplay, 
I, I, I prefer to let my rule stand. A destiny point needs to be negated by a destiny point. Um, in fact, uh, I know when we played on Saturday night, Dave, that exact scenario came up. Um, when uh, you uh, spent a destiny point to uh, smack down a dark Jedi, and um, I thought about blocking it for a second. I'm like, no, 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 it's a destiny point. And he didn't have a destiny point to spend, and sure enough, that hit took him out. He died cold and fast. Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> Actually, no, they just hurt him really bad, and then Cat picked him up and threw him over the non-existent rail, and he went, ah, all the way Oh, down. no, this was, this was the other guy on top that you, that you like, brought down to one hit point, and then TG's character, lying in a prone position behind a crate, uh, fired oh, a right. pulse wave pistol at him and caught him unawares and brought That's him right. down. You know, I was down to six hit points at that point. If I'd have been oh, hit one more time, God. I'd have been down. That was a really was a- cool little game. That was a tough fight. I'm glad you enjoyed that. That was a, it was a good encounter. You guys played amazingly well. But. Of course uh, we did. Because that's <laughs> oh, the of way course. We are. Hey, hey, yeah, you know. That's why. <laughs> that's why we need a Colt 48. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got a PM uh, from Damien Solta this past week. This one came to us in full character. <laughs> And he says that tis the season of conventions, and it looms before us all. So he has a series of questions for us. How do you recommend using a one-shot? When would a one-shot be best used? And what are good ideas to take into account when writing a one-shot? Oh, thank heavens he said writing a one-shot. And do you ever (laughs) take part in one-shots? Good Lord, boy. Any other (laughs) notes you have on one-shots would be awesome. We just need to make sure. Is he talking about one-shots? Uh, he is just, talking about one-shots. But I, w- I, I would shots. like to clarify what exactly a one-shot is for those uh, maybe newer gamers or non-convention savvy people who have no clue what a one-shot he's actually what he's actually referring to. Well, okay, let me explain that. Explain that. A one-shot is what we would commonly say is a one-adventure type of scenario. So... If you play Star Wars Saga long enough, you're going to have a campaign made up of many adventures. Take Dawn of Defiance. You're going to have different modules for Dawn of Defiance. Mm-hmm. So what if you just picked up Dawn of Defiance and played module number four? That's a one-shot. You get introduced to the game. You build a character to level four, whatever, whatever, and you play one adventure, go through multiple encounters, and at the end, that's it. Your, your you're character's done. not going to go anywhere else. If you die, you die. Who cares? So what? That's it. You're done. Yes. That, that's a one-shot. Now, Dawn of Defiance is really cool because the way it's been written is it's a contiguous campaign, so you can you can be part of this epic sweeping story going from, from point to point to point to point, but designers take the time to say, listen, if you're not doing that and you just want to run this single module, this single adventure, here's how you can make it a one-shot, and that's very awesome. Most episodic campaigns like that aren't written to be one-shots, and big commendations to Rodney Thompson and the crew at Wadsey for writing a very versatile series of modules. Um, another good example of a one-shot would be The Betrayal of Darth Revan, which, uh, again, was just pick up and play, never come back to it again, which was uh, uh, run through the RPGA at Gen Con last year. Um, so, okay, to, to your question, Damien, um, this is a good question. So, okay, as, as Dave said, one-shots are, are fairly common, but when we examine how they're done, they're most commonly used for a couple reasons. Two, actually. One, you're running a one-shot because you need a quick game 
where no one expects to start a whole new campaign. Okay, maybe maybe your seasoned players are itching to try a new build, even just for a single game, and they want a break from their current campaign. Okay, maybe it's a group of gamers that can only get together every couple of months, so they can't spend the time on a huge campaign developing plot and story, and they just want to get together and play. Okay, yeah, M- very common right there. Number two, and also very common. You're teaching new folks to play the game, okay? And that is a very common use for one-shots in my experience, okay? So considering these things, my recommendations for a good one-shot are as follows. Number one, high probability of pre-generated characters. Usually, but not always, your players are not going to want to spend the time to create a character for a one-shot game. All right. Now, if you've got seasoned players that are doing this as a break, they may get a kick out of making their own characters, but I think that's going to be the exception rather than the rule. All right. So create good pregens all right? and try to get a good mix, but with no single character that is vastly overpowering the others. All right? Be sure to give the party decent equipment already on their character sheets as well. All right? My number two suggestion for the one-shot, a mix of combat types and skill challenges. Be sure to include an encounter with ship combat, okay? Whether it's in space or on the back of a speeder bike. Uh, Have at least one really good social encounter, too. Ensure that your party's foes include typical soldiers, scoundrels, nobles, and forest users. Let them get a taste of all they might face in the game, okay? Have environmental hazards in the encounters, right? I highly recommend listening to episode number 37, The List, and ensuring that you follow the list when the you are list. creating your encounters. Um, lastly, sir, remember that this is a one-shot, okay? Overarching storylines and complex plot are, are not only unnecessary, but often unwanted in a game like this. Um, the player is playing a one-shot uh, is not playing a one-shot to get deeply involved in their character and, and do some deep role-playing. They're, they're there to have fun, kill some things, take their stuff, and most probably experience the system and get a new taste of it. So keep the plot direct, keep the plot simple. Um, a great recommendation I can make in that regard is to start the module, start the adventure uh, in Media Ray. Start it where they're already on their way to the mission, like in the back of a speeder that's rushing to go invade an Imperial outpost or something like that. Um, it really gets the feeling of excitement up and can keep that spontaneity, you know, flowing. So those are my suggestions. Very good. This sounds exciting. I want to do one now. Can we do one <laughs> shot? Yeah, we can actually. Brev's been talking about one. Um, last week, uh, he had to bow out. He had another commitment. It was, um, you remember, I was, I, I had said, hey, you know, you and me and uh, Brev and uh, was it Rob and Tenny, um, we're going to do a one shot that I was going to throw together real quick. So, yeah. Well, we're going to be doing a one shot in like two weeks at ReaperCon. You're darn right we are. Darn tootin'. Darn but but as far as far as using them, Damien, listen. I think one shots are great for your players because they allow a break from the monotony of a, of a of a campaign. Everyone needs a break every once in a while, especially because you can get bored with your characters. So this gives you a chance to play something or make something new that you just want to try out and experience and just get a taste of how that works. So um, it's great as a GM to express your style and give your players a break. It's great for a player because you get to try out something new. Yeah, there you go. So if you guys are. Looking for a good one-shot? We'll have one posted up after our deal at ReaperCon, I would imagine, right? Most definitely. Um, it was. It's going to take me a lot not to post it up beforehand, but I shall not do it. It will be played for the first time ever by anyone anywhere at ReaperCon, especially for ReaperCon. Most so. definitely. And then it'll be available for general download. Okay, so we have one... Um, 
we have one last, I guess, question. And uh, <clears throat> let me fade. Let me let me pod down the Star Wars music because this one came in by voicemail. Ooh. Yeah, I know we love getting voicemail questions. I mean, we I you know we didn't get any bumpers, but we do have one voicemail question. So here it goes. It is a little bit longer than what I would usually play, but it is a very very good question. It strikes to the heart of what has been some conjecture on the boards here lately, and I'll just go ahead and play it. Hello, Gamer Nation and GM Dave and GM Chris. I've got a question for you all. Um, with the fact that we already have the books for these, what I call the social classes in the uh, Scum and Villainy, and we have Starships of Galaxy, and we have uh, campaign guides for um, Legacy uh, Knights of the Old Republic, Force Unleashed, and Clone Wars. And before the end of this year, we're going to have books for the Jedi Force users, uh, the Martial classes, which is what I believe Galaxies at War will be, the droids, and the Rebel era. What's left? Uh, I can imagine that maybe there's campaign eras for the New Jedi Order and perhaps Old Republic if they go for a tie-in. And as far as source books go, I, I can only imagine stuff for gear. I don't think there's much more. Um, do we only have about a year's worth of books at the current publishing schedule of every other month? Or do we even have that much? And what's going to happen when they run out? Is Hasbro or Wizards going to do their, their, you know, it's time to release a new version because we have to, to kick up our uh, stock options? Um, so my question is, what, what more is there? And is there really more that we want? Um, let me know, guys. Take care. All right. Uh, there was some background noise in there, guys. Um, we know it was a little bit dirty, but... It, it sounded like to me like it was recorded in Audacity, and then Audacity has this really nasty habit of if you edit one thing somewhere for pitch or for something like that, it puts in this little artifact in your sound wobble, the wobble, whole wobble, time. Wobble, 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 wobble. Yeah, it's yeah. like... Yeah, it, uh, yeah, anyway. I couldn't really edit that out, so... Anyway, That's okay. Sorry it was, it's that. still a very, very good question and something that, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist, so I'm thinking, yeah, three years from now we're going to get a new... Uh, a new version. Oh, yeah. see, and and I I, I don't know. I, I disagree with you, but um, okay. I'll I'll say this. First and foremost, it has been clarified by Watsy time and again. Most recently, I mean, I, I sat there and watched, um, watched Watsy at a live seminar in Gen Con last year. Said, stare me in the face and say, listen, there is no plans, zero, anything on the horizon for a new edition of Star Wars RPG anytime soon. Saga Saga is barely out of the gate as far as their games go. Now, having said that, yeah, what they say about three point five. No, and for and for edition exactly. Having said that, uh, they they were very public about the fact that there were no plans for fourth edition until they announced a massive release, which was clear there had been a lot of work done on it. So I don't know, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Okay, the untapped resources for future material is um, quite a bit, okay? As far as just straight-out eras, if you're talking about campaign guides, eras that could do with a well-received and appreciated source book, here's things I would like to see, okay? First and foremost, an Old Republic-era source book, all right? Post-KOTOR video games, all right? The several hundred years later. There's still that several thousand years of gap right there, which, Dave, help me out here, the upcoming MMO, uh, which you guys have the podcast, The Holocron, for... Um, 
is going to start filling uh, a lot of that storyline. And don't tell me they're not going to do a hand-in-hand campaign guide for that. Uh, that hey, that, I, that you almost know, seems a given. I already asked Rodney about that flat out on the podcast, and instead of giving me a no comment, he, he, he said there was no plans on the horizon right now, but he would love to do one. Yeah, and I can't see them not doing it. I mean, I mean, even if there's no plans on the horizon, I can't see them not doing it. All right, so there's one we could easily throw in. All right, uh, second to that, a pre-Kotor era. Okay, the, the golden age of the hyperspace wars. All Holy right. crap. Speaking yeah. of Rodney, he's in the chat room. Hey, Rodney. Hey, Rodney's in the chat room. Hello, Mr. Thompson. Hi. Greetings, Gamer Nation. Hola. Well, okay, so... Aside from that, we're looking at a potential of. A, I would love to see a pre-Kotor era campaign guide, like the hyperspace wars. It was that kind of the era was barely mentioned in the Kotor campaign guide, and that's mostly because there's very slim EU pickings on the era. But I'll be willing to bet that as the EU expands, so will this. Okay. Um, other things I'd like to see: the new Sith Wars, what I call the Darth Bane era. No source book on that on the horizon. There's a great opportunity there. The Republic era, or what I call it. Seriously, I want a campaign guide about that time period just before episode one. That The, the thousand right. years of traditional peace and stoic, glowing Jedi tradition that I fell in love with when the prequel started to flesh that out for me. Right. Okay? Yeah. The New Republic era. Notice the Legacy Campaign Guide slightly leaves out a lot of talk about it, okay? Um, would this also include the Yuuzhan Vong Wars? Maybe, but I could see a campaign guide devoted entirely to that too, okay? And this is just campaign guides. This is just, like, era guides. As for source books like Jedi Academy, Scum and Villainy, etc., the options never end. There doesn't need to be a single source book for Force users or droids or scoundrels. I mean, for Pete's sake, did D&D ever have just one, okay, for, for a particular thing? I'm sorry, but as awesome as Scum and Villainy and the core rulebook is, there's always room for more scoundrelly goodness. And that's just scoundrels. I mean, do you see where I'm going with this? Uh, yes. Now, yep. uh, Would it, you like to know it's, more? It's endless. It's endless. And every piece of EU that comes out, every comic book, every novel, every – for Pete's sake, there's a live-action television show in the works, okay? Every piece of EU that is coming out on the horizon is one more chance for this game to expand in terms of that, Okay. Now, he had a very pointed, almost cynical question at the very end, which is, do we need more? I think that's a loaded question, my friend. Okay, okay. Let's, 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 this is rule number two. Too much is never enough. Mm-hmm. There you that's go. man rule number two. Man rule number two. I mean, dude, if you want to get hardcore with it, one only needs the core rulebook to play endless games of wonderful Star Wars. Okay? Right. But having a team of hardworking dedicated, creative, and talented game designers that we have working on the system gives us more and more and more and more. And that's something that I know I enjoy. And I'm sure that I speak for many people. So there is that. I will say this, though. Okay, I understand where you're going. All right? With D&D 3.5, the library got so intense and immense that it became, quite frankly, painful. I remember lugging a duffel bag of only a fraction of my rule books around to RPGA games, and it really was painful. It hurt my shoulder very badly. Um, yeah, exactly. But you know, as, look, I mean, as I've had time to really look back on it, I don't think the problem was with too many books. It was that it was that people didn't understand that these are options. One of the things I really like about Saga so far is the fact that much of what's been released has been campaign guides. And the devs have repeatedly said, last time we had Rodney and Sterling and Gary on the show, they all said, you know, we're talking about this. The intent is to say, hmm, running a legacy game? Grab the legacy guide and go. And, you know, you don't need to take in all this. And they're very active about the fact that if you're a GM – 
dictate what you're going to use and what you're not. So it takes away some of that difficulty. So, you know, that's just my two, two cents on it. I think this game has got a very, very long course ahead of it. And yeah. there's a lot that can be done. And yeah. um, whether it lasts another 10 years or another three years or another three months, I, 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 I'm going to be playing it for a very, 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 very long time. So Very. Good soapbox, Chris. <sighs> it's been a while since I've had one of those, isn't it? Yeah, it has, but it was a good one. Ah, so I'm there, and that's my answer to your cynical question. I choose to be the optimist. I choose to be the man looking up and outward towards the stars and towards a galaxy far, far away. All right, see? You know, no, go ahead. I was going to say, one one last note coming, um, I guess, from a less um, enlightened gamer. If there's going to be continued books that are released, a index book that just basically tells you where to go for everything. <laughs> That's been almost a fan effort, I could say. Yeah. And there's there's other options, too. I can see, I mean, for Pete's sake, Threats of the Galaxy is out. I mean, honestly, we could do with another two, three, four, five Threats of the Galaxy. I would buy them all. They're so freaking useful. I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, another Starships book. I mean, it, it, it could just keep going in that vein. I see years of source material up in the, in the pipe. So, you know, as far as yeah. concerns... I, I, I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, no, Star Wars has so much stuff. I, I keep thinking about Billy Bob Thornton in Armageddon and saying that his object collision budget allows him to track 3% of the sky, and begging your pardon, sir, it's a big-ass sky. <laughs> Star Wars is a big-ass universe, and we've barely scratched the surface on what we can do, so, you know, we could be lugging around 200 pounds of books by the time this is all said and done, or... Ah, but I don't have to. No, you don't have to. That's the thing. That's that's the beauty of it. So, yeah, it's all good in my book, anyway. <laughs> and there's no more of them. No coming pun intended. Out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you for that excellent question. I love crap like that. Um, I know it was Trevor who forwarded that to us. Whoever wrote, whoever whoever sent that in, thank you very, very, very much. I know they didn't sign off with it. Um, please, guys, send us your questions if you got them. Uh, call the Lusa line, 206-600-5872, or email us. Dave, where can they email us at? Dave at d20radio.com. Or... I think that G- GM Dave, actually. Oh, yeah, that's right, GM Dave. <laughs> <laughs> See, I set it up, and what do you do? Drop what do you the do? ball. You, I you just drop, I drop, drop the ball, Dave. You I, drop the ball. And and I have to pick it up, and I don't I don't like picking up balls, man. You should know that about me. It's true. Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Shaja! Motion granted. Alright, so not to cut you off, but we were turning left seriously hardcore, so. (laughs) Thank you for getting us back on track, sir. Uh, So anyway, yeah, email gmdave at d20radio.com, gmchris at d20radio.com, and according to Shibuda, you can email crankydave at d20radio.com as well. (laughs) 
That's all of your complaints. They go to Cranky Dave. They go to Cranky Dave. That's right. Because anybody in the chat room who has recently thrown up on my feet can email me at crankydave at d20radio.com. <laughs> and we will leave that one as an inside joke forever. Okay. So, suspending the rules. Speaking suspending the of, rules. Speaking of Shibuda with his Cranky Dave. Shibuda posted this up as a house rule a while back on our forums, and it unfortunately got buried uh, under some other stuff about lightsaber techniques and all that other whatnot. So anyway, he uh, he sent it to us uh, by a private message asking for a resurrection, and so therefore in the Easter season, we have obliged. Oh, clever. Hey, today is the Greek Orthodox uh, Easter, so happy Easter to all you Greek Orthodox and whatnot uh, other Christian faiths that celebrate Easter today. So, happy Easter. Okay, that said, I'm curious to hear your take on the primitive trade, especially since you seem to have a soft spot for Ewoks. This is speaking directly at GM Chris. I do, I do. I understand this is uh, that as I seem to have have a soft spot for Gamorians. Okay, so Shibuta likes the... Okay, perhaps I'm wrong, but I've always assumed that primitive races would be skewed a bit toward the scout. It seems the most fitting, but aside from strictly role-playing reasons, who would play a primitive scout or soldier, the classes that get the heaviest penalty for being primitive? The primitive trait has always bothered me in the uneven ways it penalizes the classes. So here's my take. Primitive does different things to different classes. Jedi, it removes weapon proficiency lightsaber. Noble, takes away blaster pistols. Scoundrel, removes blaster pistols. Scout, pistols, rifles. Add skill training. Soldier, pistols and rifles. Add power attack. So, here's a note. A primitive could still spend their first level feet to take weapon proficiency whatever, such as a primitive Jedi taking lightsaber proficiency. So, to go with this... I think primitives should have optional skill restrictions. Knowledge galactic lore, knowledge technology, and use computers should be able to be trained at first level. And initial use of mechanics and pilots should be restricted to primitive devices only. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the matter. So there you go. And you're muted, so we can't hear you. But that's okay. Oh, I'm I'm you're muted, yes! Ah, it's fine. You got me. Nice. My bad. Okay, Shibuta. Um, from your suggestions, as I put it, as I to kind of congeal it, you want to keep primitive as it is, but give uh, basically scouts skill training for free. Give soldiers power attack for free, insofar as the feats go. Um, and that's an interesting suggestion because, you know, as far as scouts and soldiers' talents, they're very much uh, combat-related and relying on those those higher damage weapons to be effective. But I think this might actually go so far as to tip the scales of power too heavily on those two classes, especially when it comes to uh, a class that uses advanced melee weapons because uh, even non-primitives are going to have to take their first-level feat to use that. So a Gamorrean, for example, who is going to spend their first-level feat on uh, advanced melee weapons anyway, so we can wield that juicy vibro axe, um, isn't going to you know, be affected too much by being primitive or not primitive. He's still going to have to take that feat. And on top of that, he's going to get power attack for free. And that's a big FD. <laughs> BFD. Yeah, um, BFD. So, I don't know. Um, I think it might go so far, as I said, to tip the scales of power far too heavily on them. Um, it kind of fails my, why would I not take this test? Okay. Now, from a role-playing perspective, also, 
I can't see why a primitive scout or soldier would suddenly know those two feats and a non-primitive wouldn't. So, yeah, that's just me. Now, as for the skill restriction suggestion, um, you know, saying, okay, if you're primitive, you can't train in, in used computer um, or, or knowledge technology or knowledge galactic lore um, at first level. I, I think that's a, a pretty good idea, actually. Um, I don't care for the restricted use of mechanics or pilot, mostly because there's not any other mechanic in the system for restricting skills in that manner. Um, I feel it needlessly complicates things. I would simply just add mechanics and pilot to the list of skills that you can't train in if you're a primitive at first level. A primitive shouldn't be piloting anything, okay? Uh, <laughs> writing, sure, but not piloting. And as for mechanics, I would fix the potential issues there by adding a caveat to the primitive trait, which would read... A primitive can use the survival skill to create and maintain primitive devices. All right. So how does that Ewok take off on the speeder bike? Oh, with a, with a pilot check minus five. Mm. Okay. Being an Ewok, he has excellent dexterity. Ah, yes, indeed. That's because mm-hmm. when he turned over and almost fell off, he didn't fall off because he was so dexterous. Yeah. Well, the fact that he was having trouble in the first place should tell you he was having a really hard time piloting. Yeah, that's true. And then when he grabs the vine and swings out of the way, man. Ah, see? Climb check. There you go, man. See? How awesome is that little furry furball of furriness? What do you guys think of this house rule? I don't think they're going to be able to answer, sir. I'm talking to you and TG. Oh, sorry. I I thought you were talking to the chat room. What the heck? I was like, wow. It's just so bizarre. (laughs) Um, I think I think um, well, you kind of hit it. I, I I don't know. I haven't given a whole lot of thought to the primitive race because I don't play primitive races, and I don't um, I don't really have an opinion on the matter. But giving them all kinds of things that I don't have uh, with a non-primitive character is broke. Yeah. The, I yeah. I think the primitives generally have something else that keeps them balanced i mean they they're restricted other things right but they're given like extra strength right right gamorians have gamorians have the the bonus of strength but they get like you know the um basically their fortitude defense is shot through the roof and they get like improved damage threshold and ewoks get sneaky which is really cool um but then again to agree to have that as well so and they get sent but yeah i mean i, I think the primitive races are pretty well balanced right now i think gamorians might be able to pump be pumped up a bit we actually covered that in the docking bay from an early episode but yeah so so I can see the the really only reason that you would want to maybe put this house rule in is if you wanted to play a Gamorrean Jedi or noble. Yeah, yeah, because honestly, for a, a Gamorrean, he's going to be better with a melee weapon again, so he's going to probably end up taking a, uh, advanced melee anyway, but that's just my take on it. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yep. Well, I think that we should turn our attention to fragments from the rim what do you think Ooh, alex and trevor show i love this segment the yes alex and trevor show yes indeed so this is about four minutes or so and we will see you gamer nation on the other side welcome jedi masters to fragments from the rim how may we be of service to you today hi this is alex and trevor this is segment 12 of fragments from the rim for this segment i've chosen a scoundrel talent Uncanny Luck, from page 15 of Scum and Villainy. I really like GM Chris's definition of what makes a talent or a feat too good, is if it's one that uh, everybody is going to take. And this one just might be. This one, on any single D20 roll of 16 or higher, once per encounter, 
that 16 or higher can be counted as a natural 20. That's a lot more critical hits. You're going from a 5% chance to a 25% chance of a critical hit. Now, one place that it's really useful, give this to a Jedi. A Jedi using their force powers, suddenly they're getting their entire force suite back that much more likely. Now, it is balanced in somewhat in the fact that it does require two scoundrel talents, both Knack and Lucky Shot, to get to it. Those are rather nice talents in and of themselves. So this is one of those talents that I'm looking at. Is this too good? Over to you, Trevor. Today I'm going to talk about the Claudite species from the Scum and Villainy book. The reason I want to speak about them is because I think they're broken. I think that Rodney and the guys, when they made the book, basically said, let's look at all the interesting characters and people that have existed in the various movies or extended universe and find notable people and then find out their species and apply them into this book because, you know, they have to be scum and villainy flavored. The reason I think that Claudette are broken is because of the whole shape-changing concept. Uh, in all the role-playing I've done over the years, the moment you give someone that mutable of an ability, it will always break the game, or more often than not break the game, because it gives the players, or the player in that case, an unbalanced ability to affect the game in ways that, if they're creative, you'd never be able to prepare for. In the case of the Claudite, with their shape changing, they get a plus 10 species bonus to deception when trying to disguise. And that's that's not just broken, that's like broke-broke. Because if you look at the idea of a first-level noble or scoundrel who are trained in deception, take their feet to take skill focus in deception, without any charisma modifier, they have a plus 20 to their deception for the purposes of disguise. And the reason I say that that is awfully broke is because if you look at the the opposite of that, which is perception, because this is one of the few cases that it's an opposed role, no one has that great of a perception at the same level. So what you've got is you've got a, a, a mismatch. You've got someone at first level having an ability of somebody who's, say, at fifth or tenth level, as far as being able to, to see through their deception. So... You give that to a creative player, especially someone who's, say, a mid-maxer, all of a sudden that plus 20 becomes a plus 25. Oh, wait, they're a scoundrel, and they've taken the talent of either knack, which means they can re-roll, or you take fool's luck, which gives you a plus 5 on any one roll you make, and all of a sudden you've got a plus 30 at first level. That is insane. And I think that, personally, I believe that any anyone who's a shape-changer should be an NPC species only, because... The things that you can do for storytelling are really great. The things that the players can do to break your storytelling are just awful. And I think that Rodney and the gang made a slight error in judgment when they decided to add this as a playable race as opposed to in the back of the book where it could have been a an NPC race only. So anyways, that's my rant for today. If you want to talk to us or have any questions or comments, please feel free to email Alex and I at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, keep having fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Okay, 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 okay. Um, good Fragments, by, by the way, guys. Thank you very much. i got to make a comment about the Claudite here because I love Claudites. <laughs> and I'm glad, I'm glad they standed them out. In fact... Dave, you, you're, you're Jedi Knight, now Wookiee Jedi Knight, just took possession of a Claudite Padawan in our home game, yes? 
Yes, indeed. Took possession of. And you know what? She's third level, and she has a plus 24 to her deception check when she is attempting to disguise. Right. Now, here's why, and this is my, my counterpoint. Here's why I don't think it is broken. A plus 10 species bonus when you're trying to disguise. Okay. That's it. Now, that's not a lot, and let me explain why. First and foremost, if a player is breaking your game, it is not the fault of the rules, it is the fault of the GM. Okay. But as far as the mechanics go, what this basically means, and you hit it dead on too, guys, it pretty much means that a character of equivalent level is not going to be able to tell that they're disguising themselves. And I think that's what it was intended to be. They're a Claudite and a Shape Changer. You shouldn't be able to tell. My thing is this. Disguise can really only get you so far. And if you're impersonating someone else, it's not just a matter of disguise. Yeah, that'll get you looking like them. But in a universe where everyone knows that Claudites exist, it really only does get you so far. And if I have to pretend to physically be someone else, I still have to rely on a bluff check or um, other ways to impersonate that individual when I'm speaking, things of that nature. But, you know, walking by and getting past them just by via, you know, visual inspection, that is one thing. But I don't know. I don't think it's that terribly broken. I don't know. You, you, what, what do you two guys think about that, about the Claudite being, being broken? I mean, because you guys saw just a third-level Claudite in action, what, last night? Yeah, it wasn't um, all that impressive. I mean, it was okay, but I, I wouldn't call it broken. I Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. If If it's broken, then I think it's probably the um, GM's dealings with. If you're allowing them to use that Claudite to just break through everything. You change the scenario that they have to participate in so that way it's not always requiring a disguise check. Yeah. Right. I don't think yeah. Exactly. So, but either way, it's mixed for excellent discussion. Absolutely. <laughs> So you know what that means. Oh, what does that mean? Time for the meat of the discussion. Oh, I like the meat. Yep. All right. Um, we're going to follow up on a listener request tonight, guys, that is actually several months old. I'm very sorry that it's taken us so long to get to it. Um, we've also gotten a random few other emails and PMs requesting discussion of this. But honestly, I've thought about it, and I've said to myself, you know what? We'll do this next week. And I put it on the back burner for a while. But finally, events in my flagship game got me excited enough about about it to really take a long, hard look at this new mechanic, so we're going to discuss it. The Force Unleashed campaign guide introduced us to the wondrous mechanic of creating and working within organizations. Uh, finally, players and, and GMs had the mechanics to create organizations and see how membership and standing within them could affect not only what a character could accomplish, but also what would be expected of them, providing <coughs> great plot hooks and character development opportunities for the game. Um, but a cursory examination of the rules um, is quite frankly a little daunting. At first glance, the organization section seems complex and heady, but with a quick bit of instruction and understanding, we will see how, like most everything else in this system, it is elegant and impactful. We'll talk about ways to create cool organizations and more importantly, how to use them in your game. So turn, younglings, to page 60 of your Force Unleashed campaign guide, and let's get organized. Are you guys ready to get organized? Yeah, although I'm not all that organized. I, I, I tend to defer to the boss. Ooh. And yeah, I do that a lot, don't I, honey? Yes, you do. But I have to say, I'm in a very lazy mood today. I'm not so much on the organization. Really? What if yeah. I were to... Okay. 
Okay. Well, well, okay. Well, we'll see if this motivates you any. This first segment I want to call, uh, can I join you guys' club? Get um, any Yu-Gi-Oh cards. You got any Yu-Gi-Oh cards? <laughs> um. <laughs> Y'all do that so well. Hey, practice makes perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I say. All right. The basics of organizations in Star Wars Saga Edition have their roots in the fact that, well, organizations are really everywhere in the world of Star Wars. I mean, most fans just never think of it that way. The Galactic Empire, the Jedi Order, the Rebel Alliance, the Black Sun Crime Syndicate, the Jenner Harden, the Gan Feinsman. If you think about it, I seriously doubt that many of us have ever played any Star Wars game ever where the heroes were not working for or as a part of some type of codified organization. Whether it's a noble house or a planetary government or a law enforcement agency or a bounty hunters guild. The Star League. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gunstar. Um, you bet. There you go. What the Force Unleashed gives us is the options to mechanically define this and giving our heroes the option to seek recognition and, more importantly, gain benefit from the organization they are probably already taking a part in. Mm. So, so what's an organization there, pal? What is an organization? Let's let's talk about the basics here, okay? Um, both GMs and players can create organizations or stat out existing ones that may be in the EU. In any case, it all starts with taking the time to define the basics of that organization. This is pretty simple stuff, but it's important to take the time to really sit down and dedicatedly think about it. The dedicatedly? Questions. Dedicatedly? De- dedicatedly. That's a Chris word. That's, a, that's an adverb, dude. That's a lazy tool of a weak mind. Well, uh, then I'm lazy and weak, and I, well, I don't have much of a mind, so that explains a lot. Whatever. 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 All right. So the questions. Ask yourself, um, who, who makes up this organization? Okay. Who runs it? What are their goals? What do they, what do, they do on a day-to-day basis? Who supports them financially um, in a manpower sense? Okay. In an ethical sense, who works against them? Right. Take the time to scribe out a brief few sentences that clarify the answers to these questions and keep them handy because they'll help you with the next steps. All right. The next most important question to answer is scale. How big is your organization? Okay. If this organization is created from scratch by the GM, it could be um, as small as a neighborhood or a ship's crew or as large as the Galactic Empire. But once the sphere of influence for your group is figured out, that determines their scale. All right. So the questions that you first answered will kind of help determine the sphere of influence where your group operates, and that will figure out their scale. Table 4-1 on page 62 of the Force Unleashed Campaign Guide provides the scales for organizations and what that means. Okay. And for a brief example, a scale of one would be something very small, very localized, like the crew of a single ship. Okay. A scale of six would be like a, a citywide venture, uh, like a police force. Thirteen would be a full sector, like the CSA. Um, Seventeen, massive organization, like the Old Republic. Okay. Understand that an organization's scale is directly related to how powerful the organization is. That's very important, and we'll come to that later. And also recognize that the scale is not indicative of how many members are in the organization. Uh, for example, the Jedi Order, very powerful organization, very few members. Um also, PC-generated organizations that are created via the natural leader feat, which we'll, we'll, we'll come to, they have a set scale. Okay, but again, we're going to come to that later. So, Once we have that figured out, Dave, TG, we've got to ask ourselves, what role do I play? I don't ask myself that. I just take control. 
Oh, well, that's because you're a controlling fella. <laughs> Some might call me a control freak with my Colt 53. <laughs> 40, 45. 45, Dave. 45. Right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so as a member of an organization, I possess an organization score, all right, as a character, all right? It's a, a unique attribute belonging to me. This represents how much influence I carry within my organization, and more importantly, what benefits that influence brings me. Now, here's where the mechanics can get a little daunting at first glance, and where we're going to try and explain this as easily as we can. Okay? Let's talk about criteria. An organization, every organization, has criteria, which are covered on table 4-2 on page 64. Criteria, simply, are what give you standing within your organization, both, both positive and negative. Now, again, this standing is represented by your organization score. Okay? So, cr criteria. Criteria can sometimes be self-explanatory. Okay? Uh, he's a powerful man who's seen a lot. You show him some respect, rookie. Okay? Or perhaps, um, his knowledge of the dark side of the force is unsurpassed. You should pay him the utmost abasement, acolyte. Okay, or maybe, um, you know, hey, he's a fellow Bothan, right? He belongs in the spy net. Okay, or maybe, um, you be watchful of Commander Jax. He's blasted over a hundred clankers in single combat. Right? Being an experienced fighter, a master of the dark arts, or a Bothan joining the spy net, these seem like natural criteria for certain organizations. And these things are going to come to you when you're fleshing out what your organization means at the very beginning. But mechanically... These concepts are represented by the criteria listed on page 64. That man who's seen a lot is probably part of an organization with the experience positive criteria, meaning he gains half of his character level added to his organization score. Or the Darksider who's gaining respect is probably in a cult that has the reviled positive criteria, meaning he adds a quarter of his Darkside score to his organization score. Okay? But just as important as these positive criteria are negative criteria. They're defining marks of an organization, okay? Uh, we, we, we can't trust her, Mal. She's an alien. You know, only humans can really be a part of what we're all about. Or maybe, um, it's foolish to promote him, Zam. He's got a six-figure bounty on his head from the huts. Um, or maybe, he's not worthy of the rank, sir. In his last combat mission, he failed to defeat the target. Mechanically, these concepts are represented by various negative criteria, which reduce your organization score if you meet them. Okay, so choosing your criteria, what criteria does your organization have? Well, again, this is all up to you. Your preliminary definition should help you narrow down what criteria your organization cares about and which they don't. Okay, every organization receives 10 free positive criteria they can choose from. Okay, um, now they're welcome to choose more criteria, uh, which would give obviously their members more ways to rise up in the organization and achieve a better a score. Uh, but for every positive criteria after that initial 10, it must be balanced by also assigning a negative criteria to the organization. And that's very important. Now, TG, I know in our home game that you've got a, a, a newly christened crime lord with a couple levels. And, you know, you've started an organization of your own, but it's really been more of a role-playing constraint. We haven't actually statted it out. And we've talked about doing it. Um, yeah. Now, when we talked about this, you expressed some some reservations as you were looking about it at it, trying to did, did you have any trouble trying to think of what criteria might apply to your organization? No, actually, I, I think where I really struggled with it is most of the ones that were listed there. It's like why wouldn't I select this as a criteria for my organization? Uh, so it was narrowing it down to ten, basically. Uh, well, even the negative ones, I, if somebody's a member of my organization and they have 
uh, I don't know, killed somebody else in the organization, well, duh, then they should be negatively affected by that. <laughs> Most of the negative ones are, with some exceptions, you know, like with the, you know, being of a specific alien or whatever, being a negative criteria. But most of the ones were things that, well, duh, of course I would want that as part of my organization. So why do I have to pick a certain number of them in, when most of them would be fitting? Well, I think the answer to that question is to honestly make it less complicated. When you codify what you want specifically, it's much less options for you to choose from. And more importantly, it allows your PC players to better tailor their actions in the game. And we're going to kind of come to that here in a bit. But, okay, one of the things we also talked about, you and I, was the individual organization score, okay? As a member of an organization, uh, your org score is simply determined by the criteria of your organization, okay? As an example, if I'm a 10th level Bothan infiltrator who's trained in gather information and deception, I've got skill focus in both those as well. Um, and I'm a master at information gathering. In fact, I took the Bothan agent talent to exemplify that. On that description alone, and then based off the criteria the SpyNet has, this character would have an organization score of at least 13. Okay, plus five for the SpyNet's experience criteria, adding half his level, plus one each for being trained in deception and gather info, having levels in infiltrator, and taking a Bothan SpyNet talent, and then plus two each for being a Bothan and having skill focus gather information. Okay. The criterion chosen for the organization has actually helped guide that character on his career path, knowing what his organization would prize. Okay? Now, when choosing criteria, it often helps to picture what actions or conditions would garner praise or advancement within the organization and go with that. Okay? Things like being filthy rich, or, or stealing a bunch of stuff, or killing a separatist commander, or mastering a rare force power. Sure, most every criterion could apply to the organization, positively or negatively, but really take the time to sit down and think about what would most exemplify that organization. Um, you know, a, a really good example uh, that I can think of, okay, is going to be one of the things you talk about, TG, was killing another member of the organization, okay? In the Jedi Order, that's probably a really big negative criteria. In the Black Sun Crime Syndicate, not so much. <laughs> and, you know, it's probably how uh, most promotions get made, actually. <laughs> that could very well be a positive criterion. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting to look at it that way, and it really helps to, to set down and answer those questions to begin with when you're trying to pick your various criteria. Okay. Well, let's talk about being a part. Okay, so, so your organization score translates into direct benefits for your character. All right? That's what's really cool about this. Page 66, table 4-3 outlines the tiers of org scores and what benefits each one imparts to your character. Now, this can be some absolutely crazy stuff, or it can be some just terribly useful stuff, such as, um, for brief examples, a plus two to your will defense when you're against enemies of your organization. Spending a force point to immediately requisition a thousand credits worth of gear for use in a mission. Um, having access to a source contact that can make gather information checks on your behalf anywhere in the galaxy. Free transportation within the organization's sphere of influence. Access to a capital starship for a week, okay? Um, but th those are some pretty high-level stuff. What you do when you're designing the organization, you select one benefit at each tier that members receive no matter what. Now, they can have any of the other benefits in the tier, but doing so at that point requires a duty. 
which is also covered in Table 4.3. Various duties to your organization. You know, there's lots of them. Performing a dangerous mission for your organization. Obtaining supplies for the organization. Training a new member. Um, basically, plot hooks! <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. And, and that's kind of where we're coming to now as we kind of round out this discussion. Okay, um, you know, at this point, you're, you're talking to the boss, all right? How, the GM, how do we use this knowledge? How can a character become a member of an organization? How can they create an organization? As a GM, how can I use this in my game, okay? Now, TG, your character, Ula, is created her own organization, all right? And it's, been, again, been very much a role-playing thing. But we'd considered you actually taking the feat, natural leader, to, to, to mechanically create your organization, all right. Right. Um, so if a PC wants to create an organization of their own, I mean, why not? This natural leader feat on page 34 of the KOTOR campaign guide, it's there just for it. Natural leader makes the PC the leader of an organization that they create with a scale equal to half their heroic level plus their charisma modifier. Now, as the leader, they automatically begin with a plus 10 to their, orig to their organization score for that organization. Obviously, they have the highest rank in their organization. And a wise leader would probably create criteria that fit them very well, or that they already meet, boosting their, their organization score up quite up a bit. But as you were planning this out, you discovered something rather interesting, you know, being actually low mid-levels, um, not even mid-levels yet, uh, that was kind of an interesting uh, point that I found it ring pretty true. And, and what was that? Well, um, I've got a ninth level noble, and if I even try to be a wise player... Um, the max amount of org score that I can get would be a 20. And I, that puts me at a mid-level within my own organization. <laughs> so I'm the boss of my own organization, but I'm only mid-level within it. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, it really only winds up being useful if you're a higher level character, uh, where you're almost close to epic. Yeah, and that's a very thing, very good uh, point to make. the The only way I can see this really working at very low levels is if you're wanting to be like a starship captain over a loyal crew, and your crew is your organization. Okay, um, that's pretty much about it. But at mid to high levels, I mean, this is a fantastic way for the PC to manage the affairs of very large things in the game and minions underneath them. I mean, this is almost a natural choice for a crime lord, uh, maybe even an officer. Okay. Now, aside from PC-generated organizations, let's talk about GM-generated organizations. Okay, bottom line, you're looking at quite possibly the best tool to manage your story and your players' actions that's available to you as a GM. Look, players play to advance their characters, and giving them the option to advance within an organization and receive mechanical benefits from that, it's, it's almost too good, okay? It's incentive for your player to follow the goals of the organization, all right? Now, my favorite feature of organizations is detailed in the sidebar on page 63. So, okay, let, let's say that this is, of course, using organizations for mass combat. Let's say that the exchange syndicate decides to perform a massive assault on the planetary government of Telos because they haven't paid their protection fees, okay? Now, we're talking about massive combat here. A, a fleet of exchange warships shows up against the Telosian planetary defense force. Um... Organization scale is the perfect adjudicator, being a measure of the organization's power. Uh, the Telos government has a scale of 9, and the exchange has a scale of 16. For the GM to easily decide who won, 
uh, he'd simply roll a d20 with a plus 9 modifier for Telos, and a d20 with a plus 16 modifier for the exchange. The exchange, much more powerful, would probably win out. But here's the cool part. Let's say the PCs are helping to defend Telos. If the GM puts them in a pivotal encounter in the battle and they win, they can provide a bonus to the Telos roll equal to half their average character level, seriously impacting the battle and allowing that weaker force to potentially triumph. Ultimately, organizations give GMs the option to codify complex interactions between epic forces and more importantly put their players in a meaningful role in that without having to simply GM hand wave it away. And that's what I really like about this. Um, I think that they've done an excellent job of laying out ways to mechanically define what would otherwise be a simple GM hand wave or a role-playing choice and allow not only players to benefit from it, but more importantly, give the GM a tool to use that benefit to drive their players toward a certain course of action without railroading them through simple encouragement. And I think that's really cool. So that's it. That's my soapbox on organizations, and I think they're awesome. There you go. <laughs> I think they they can be good. They uh, there's they're not for everything. It's not. It, it, first of all, you have to make sure if you're gonna do an organization, if you're gonna be become a member through these rule sets, or if you're gonna create one, you have to work with your GM on this because um, incorporating all of the different mechanics is really gonna require it being a very pivotal part of the plot that your GM has put together. It's really cool if that's a part of it, and I think it, you're right, it is a great motivation for wanting to advance, because you're always trying to advance in something, whether it be XP or talents, or now it's an organization. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point. Now, Dave, I'm sorry, I know I kind of soapboxed there. Um, I want to ask your opinion specifically because you've gotten the chance to see how now in our home game your character has now been heavily involved in in two major organizations not only the the Praxium or this new Jedi order but also the resistance as well how would you feel about your character advancing mechanically in those organizations and would it serve to motivate you as a character not at all really nope i the character itself could care less about the organizations. They're, ah, but that's that's very much a role playing choice for you. Yeah, yeah, he's he's struggling as it is as a force user, and um, he's picked up a Padawan. Now, the the greater good of the organization, the Jedi Order, the Praxium, I wouldn't call that an organization per se. It it seems like a higher level to me, but you know, I can see it being an organization because it is the Resistance and all that. But yeah, yeah. Well, I would say the resistance would probably be the organization they're a part of. Right, right. So, you know, yeah, six and one half knows the other, but that's not his primary motivation at all. Is, you know, he's just a, he's just a carpet walking through the expanse of the Star Wars galaxy, far, far away. Wow, that must have been a really good answer because you guys went like totally silent. You're talking into your muted microphones again. I bet. Well, I'm guessing not. I'm guessing we had a power outage in Plano, so... What we'll say is that... It sounds like we might be nearing the end of a show. And... Chris and Krista, hopefully their house has not been hit by a tornado. And... Maybe it's just... 
Chris's terrible computer throwing a shoe yet again. And so for GM Chris, I will say, we wish you peace, love, and good gaming. And I will say to keep them dice a-rollin'. And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. My parents were sad when I joined the Empire. They thought I would die while under fire. I tried to explain and ease their worry. I told them as troopers we always hurry. We run from point A to point B. On the snow we're all hard to see. We travel around in large groups. It'd be hard to pick out from other troops. I gave them many reasons and excuses. Mostly it was all pretty useless. But what finally put a smile on their face was when I told them they could rent my room out to my buddy over there on the other end of the town and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be eating so much and uh, I probably wouldn't be driving the family speeder all that much into town. They could, you know, have that back. It'd all be okay. Stormtrooper Poetry. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. So it's time for a little bit of daydreaming, and I have, by golly, through the miracle of the intertube and interweb, apparently suffering from a devastatingly simple router attack was Chris and TG, and they're back. That was freaking weird, man. I'm sorry, Gamer Nation. It was really bizarre. You know, I had to, like, wrap up the show without you, and it felt really strange. Mm, that was that was actually very very strange. Literally, it just stopped, and I, I ran over and uh, uh, unplugged the modem and tried that. And that was once once we realized it was just connection that was the problem, and that didn't solve the problems. So then we restarted the router, and that seemed to solve the problem. So I don't know really what the big deal was. Um, go ahead and start shopping routers. Is it a Linksys? I'm guessing. It is. Yeah. Yep. See, that's what happens with Linksys routers. Go ahead and start shopping them because it's going to start doing this every so often. You know, it'll go a week or maybe two weeks until it does it again. Then the next time it'll do it is 10 days later. And then the next time it'll do it is seven days later. And then all of a sudden you'll be rebooting the damn thing every day. And that's that's the knock on Linksys. That's why I switched to Netgear. Wow. So now that well, I've just spent daydreaming railing on the evils of Linksys... Um, <laughs> You know, there you go. That's the latest of my apparent product D recommendations. <laughs> so we can line that up with Hooters, Taco Cabana, and now Linksys. Well, hey, I got one piece of crunch that I want to throw in there um, because I didn't get a chance to say it at the show's end. Um, so now I'll say it post-show. Um, to Fragments of the Rim, the comments we were having on the Claudite discussion? Yeah. Um, so that was like Roddy 30 Thompson, minutes ago. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Rodney Thompson happened to be obviously in the chat room this evening, and he made a comment that I thought was very insightful. He said the reason that they felt the Claudite was balanced is because of the inherent um, penalties for a deception check for a ridiculous deception. Right. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. It's SGM Fiat. That goes without saying. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're trying to impersonate like a Grand Admiral or something, you get like a minus 10, minus 15 to the, you know, whatever to the check. So, right. I don't know. Interesting interesting input from the dev. That, that right. Is, that is all. That is all. So, anyway, so I don't have much in terms of daydreaming today, really. I just, um, I wanted to say that Gamer Nation, I've really enjoyed having this little bit of, of daydreaming. But this will be the last daydreaming that you hear. Oh, yeah. Why? Because it's Geekapalooza now. You're right, it is. I mean, really, everything that I would say here in this segment, we would say on Geekapalooza. So, you know, ordinarily, I'd come into daydreaming and I'd go six guns a blazing in, is into my rule number one, rule number two that we uh, almost got in a fight about over the table last night. Right, Krista? <laughs> Okay, Dave. Uh, do you really want to get into this? I think. Who are some of the people who are still in the chat room? Oh, let's see. Cat. Cat's there. She was there, there last are, night. Yeah. There are a Sith seven. goddess would be someone else who I can imagine would get upset. There are seventeen and eighty-three watching right now. Seventeen chatting, eighty-three watching. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know. You know what? I will tell you. I will tell you that it will make for a very spirited, uh, geekaposa discussion that I will gladly listen to. Yeah. Oh. Oh. By the way, and if you want to know where Sith Goddess stands, yeah, she already. She already. <laughs> I issued this line Wednesday night when I was out with her, and she uh, just about killed me when I said that. So yeah. <laughs> she'll she'll well, be good. she'll be in your corner. Yeah, <laughs> you deserved it. Whatever she did to you, I'm sure it was well deserved. She, uh, Let, let's yeah, just she say. threw up on me. That's what she did. Good. Ah, there's the literally shoe or just no, literally, just figuratively. Literally. No, literally. Okay, okay. I, I know what I want to do in this segment. Then, Dave. Okay, Dave, yeah. I, I'm so freaking stoked about our trip to the Reaper plant to, to go to Reaper Minis. It was so incredible. Um, and okay, we came over to your place afterwards, Dave, because you couldn't come with us initially. You got a chance to see the pictures of some of the minis that they were customizing already just to see what they could do. Oh, yeah, dude. <sighs> and it's so freaking easy. I mean, I, well, you need some skill. I don't think... I, mean, but, I, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Easy to customize. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish yeah, my yeah. thought. Good grief. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's not. It's. It's not that it's easy to do the the miniatures. They have such good details on them. Right. That music keeps cutting out in my head or in my. <laughs> That's because I turned it up, hoping you were going to be quiet so you could hear your band, and you kept talking right over them. So, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> He was trying to See, give you that what, that background. This is what uh, this is what men are good for, right, Dave? Just trying to interrupt, and uh... no, actually, <laughs> men, no, actually, men are good for trying to please their women, but women are usually too busy to notice. <laughs> too busy trying to take care of your. Uh huh. Yeah. See, rule number one: rearing its ugly head again. Uh huh. We'll see about that. Battle of the sexes. Next Geekabalooza. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. No, but the the trip to the... Uh, to Reaper. 
to the Reaper was just that was so fun. It was like the it highlight really of your was. month. Yeah, it was. Like the whole weekend I had. I had a blast this weekend because we got to play Saturday night. We went to Reaper Saturday afternoon. Got to come see you and do some really cool recording. Yep. And that was fun just hanging around and goofing off. And then uh, Kat got to stay the night and we had fun. And then we got to um, sign up for events at uh, Gen Con. Yeah, it's just all around. All around good weekend. stuff, right? Yeah. I'm exhausted now. <laughs> okay, so you okay, you both should be exhausted because you were up late playing Star Wars last night with me. Dave, I know you probably hit World War Three when you left. Um, uh, Dave had a hard stop last night when we were playing at midnight and it was eleven fifteen and we were in the we were in the final encounter. And I'm like, okay, forty five minutes, final encounter. I figured I'd plan this very well because I tried very hard to get everyone out at midnight. And for Pete's sake, it was like a quarter to one. 10 to 1 when that encounter finally got to a point where you could leave. Oh, yeah. Two-hour encounter. <sighs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, almost. That's some good I'm so, I'm so sorry, man. I never expected that encounter to take that long. Right. You throw two Jedi and seven, let's see, four snipers and uh, four flamers and two officers along with the two big badass Jedis at, uh, you know, basically three fighters and, yeah. I did think so. I did not expect them to last that long. The stormtroopers should have gone out early, but uh, what was the CL of that of that encounter? The whole encounter high. Um, I mean, you you had two CL 11s in there, which were the two Jedi, dark Jedi. You had um, the two commanders in there were CL eights, and then you they each had four mooks underneath them that were CL fives. And you were a party of four level nines, so. Okay, so you know what we should, of course, this is me being the the mathematician part of me coming out. There, there should come, they should come out with a chart that puts the um, CL level to the amount of time it would take <laughs> to, to oh, um, see, you don't know that. that CL level, depending on how many um, characters, what the CL level of your party is. Right, and that the the problem is I don't think you would know because we were split up all over hell on that map, yeah. which which is what really shot the wheels off to begin with, and the fact that they came in from three different places, four different places, and that we had multiple objectives not only kill the to kill the bad guys but to plant the explosives, and you have to admit that was a good encounter. Uh, it was a good. It, yeah, was, it was. It was a fine encounter. It was. it was an absolutely fine encounter. The problem was it just took two hours to do, and you know, it just got me in trouble when I came home. So. I'm sorry. Hey, he, Chris got in trouble when he got home too for it. So how's that? You weren't the only one. I was mad at him for m- keeping you late. Yeah, oh, and, 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 she, and she, I, I ran. I felt bad because I ran off really, really quickly. But um, you should have. Yeah, you my, had a uh, right to. My wife was. Uh, we were cooking. You know, my. Uh, my niece's uh, baptism was this morning, and we were the godparents, right? So we yeah. had we had stuff to take for the reception, and uh, that's what I was supposed to help her make last night. And when I came home, she had done it, started trying to do it herself, and she uh, burned her hand on something and dropped a big jar of pickles that broke all over the floor. Oh no! And so, ba- and basically, I walked in the door, and yeah, it was a mushroom cloud from the word go because all this bad had happened to her. You know, obviously, it wouldn't uh. have happened if you'd have been home on time. You blah 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 blah. 
<laughs> and it was on, you know, basically from there. So. Oh God. W w would you like to know what happened after you had to leave? Sure, you can tell me. That'd be that'd be kind of cool. Well, I'll do more than that. I'll give you a brief encapsulation. So. For the Gamer Nation that's still listening, basically, in my alternate universe campaign, the party is working for this resistance against the evil uh, Republic. <laughs> and uh, they had to go blow up Cloud City, basically. Um, get rid of it. And they went through a harrowing campaign. They managed to convince an imprisoned and aging Lando Calrissian that they were actually going to blow up his city, and he was okay with that. And so basically, when it all was said and done, you guys hightailed it out of there. And on your way out... I mean, uh, TG, I mean, you, you guys encountered something on your way out that kind of uh, gave you all pause. Um, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was... Uh, the Well, it was the other Jedi, right? Well, Is yes, that, that was... But, well, I'm talking about, uh, as, I, as my, my, my scripting here, as you race through the causeways of Cloud City, desperate to return to the hangar, you pass a massive cargo bay stocked with thousands upon thousands of massive cylindrical canisters that can only contain volatile Tabana gas. And they appear to be waiting pickup, along with hundreds of crates of machine parts and an object that takes your breath away. A massive green crystal, shaped into what looks like a focusing lens, standing suspended by movement dampeners towering nearly 30 meters tall. What such a creation could be used for, you cannot fathom, but you have little time to ponder it as you race through the facility. Yeah, I heard that part. Okay, so you got through that. Well, basically, they make it back through to the hangar that you guys were leaving from. Uh, the Jedi that you guys managed to turn to y'all's side, he was waiting there for you, and they convinced him to come with them. Um, and Lando and the Ugnot uh, La Resistance movement inside the bowels of Cloud City join you. And um, <clears throat> the end scene was this. Racing away from the beautiful Cloud City, you feel the heat of a compression wave as the charges in the reactor core detonate, creating a chain reaction throughout the city that sends plumes of flame out of exhaust ports all over. With an ear-splitting shriek, the repulsor field about the city gives out, and you watch in horror as the massive facility lurches and begins diving down into the heart of Bespin. Lando stares longingly at it, unable, it seems, to tear his eyes away from the destruction. You watch as ships and escape pods continuously jettison from the falling wreck, levels imploding from pressure the deeper and deeper it falls, until finally it fades from sight. Lando sighs heavily and covers his face with one hand. As you travel back to the impasse in silence, the beauty of Bespin's sun on the clouds reminds you of what there is and what has been lost. And that was the end of the mod. Okay. Cool. So it blew up. <laughs> it's a cinematic blow up. It was very moving and role play and... You know, people that are close to your party felt emotion over it, dude. It's story. You got to go with it. Not you the Wookiee. The Wookiee's a Jedi. He can't. He can't. Uh, yeah, he can't. He can't feel the emotion, you know. Oh, uh, gotcha. Your Padawan was safe, by the way. Yeah, we knew. We figured. Hey, what yeah. are you playing in the background? Liz Fair. Why Dave. can't Why can't I? Who is it by? Liz. Liz Fair? Yeah, Liz Fair. Odd music. Anyway, I'm sorry Why? I took up so much of the the, the post show. Why you like it? Way. You like the music, huh? 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 No. Why? It sounds like Miley Cyrus. Oh, it ain't Miley so, Cyrus. Um, it, sound, it sounds like Avril Lavigne. 
It's not no, no, it either. doesn't. Avril Lavigne is is a little bit harder than that. It sounds very Disney pop. This is it's actually an older, it's an older song. It's been out for a while. Oh, and it's got an even cuss word. Oh, there it went. See, it's uh, it's explicit. It's explicit title. It's definitely not Disney. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I felt like I should be chewing bubble gum and bobbing my head back and forth. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just the sound of it does. I don't metal, know what metal, the, li- the lyrics PNX might not be, but... He says it sounds like Avril Lavigne doing Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Spin or spare, right? That is many men's dreams right there, Metal Venus. Oh, see? Uh, see? Oh. There you go. That's an ender. <laughs> that's an ender right there. That's a. That's an ender. That's... Yeah. That is what they call an ender. So we're going to go ahead and back off the music and say bye-bye, Liz Fair. Thank you very much. And Gamer Nation, thank you for allowing us to invade your personal space. You guys stay hard. Keep jamming, and we will see ya.